Being a dad isn't always easy, but it's the best thing I ever did. I'm constantly improving myself to be the best dad I can be through fitness, nutrition, mindset, and lifestyle. As fathers, we pass on many things to our children, such as our mindset, our habits, our attitude, and what we've learned along the way. Each of these will shape who our children are and who they will become. The Warrior Dad's mission is to help you become the healthiest version of yourself, to hone your edge, and to live with purpose. My name is Jim Bartomey, and this is the Warrior Dads Podcast. Hey guys, thanks for tuning back in for another episode of the Warrior Dads Podcast. Today, I have Ben Eisenmanger. I said that right, right? Nailed it. Awesome. Uh, ben is the head coach and owner of Be Strong KY in Northern Kentucky. He has specialized. He specializes in strength training, kettlebells, strongman, and movement enhancement. He's a competitive strongman and has earned the titles KY Strongest Man at 150 kilos. Uh, I'm, I'm West Virginia. Five I'm sorry, 105, 105, 105 kilos. West Virginia's strongest man at 125 kilos and beast tamer through Strong First. He is a contributor to Rebel Performance, the Kettlebell Locker, and the WEC method. He is a proud husband and a father of three. Ben, thanks so much for coming on the Warrior Dads podcast. Awesome. I appreciate you having me, Jim. Uh, it's an honor to be on. You've had a lot of really good names on, so I'm really happy to uh, be included in that list and, and very honored that, that you found me. So, Yeah, I am too. And um, like I was just telling you a couple of minutes ago, I don't remember exactly how I came across you, but I've gotten into kettlebells uh, more and more over the last, uh, I don't know, five months or so and started going down that rabbit hole. And I'm really glad I did. And I came across you and it just seemed like you, you were a great person to have on. And um, I think I thought you'd have a lot to share. And it seems like you do once you sent me that uh, that intro. So I'm really excited to uh, to have you on. So um, let's start off with uh, let, let's start off with some of these accomplishments that you've had. And, and and actually, you know, you were just telling me um, about your the first time you picked up a kettlebell and you talked about how humbling it was and you thought you were strong and and you weren't. Let's start there. Tell, yeah, tell me about was, that experience because I want to hear it about was, that. Uh, I was at the time I was um, just working at a vitamin shop and bodybuilding, just like most guys. I, I really uh, just went to the gym and, and pumped out barbell movements and wanted to look good for the weekends. And it was funny. One of the guys I worked with, uh, he said he had a kettlebell in his car because I mentioned I was interested in trying kettlebells. And I actually traded him 30 sample packets of Sizon, which is an old creatine product. Mm-hmm. And I traded him 30 p- sample packets for a 50 pound kettlebell. So great deal on my end. Yeah, um, right. And it was, it was one, I think it might've been like the original power systems kettlebell. It was like, you know, knots all over it and scrapes. And it was, it was kind of ugly, but uh, I took it home and started looking up some stuff and I actually found through Pavel some clean and press ladders. And I thought, oh, this is only 50 pounds. It's going to be no big deal. And I couldn't finish it. It, it almost made me throw up because the whole not setting it down, just constant movement, cleaning it, using the body unilaterally, pressing with that weird leverage. Like it just, it just kicked my ass. And, uh, it was that moment where I was like, I guess I'm not as strong as I thought I was. And, and what so was your it, physical it just, condition like back then? Like before, I mean, I was before a, you picked up the kettlebell, I was a, you know, I was probably two twenty, um, you know, 10 or 12% body fat. So I was pretty muscular. I could, you know, bench press close to 400 pounds and, 
Um, you know, like you see, I think we talked about it before is I could pick up dumbbells in you know, hundred pounders and press them. No problem. But you gave me a 50 pound kettlebell and I had to press it strict and swing it through my legs every time. And I just gassed out and I didn't have that multi-planar function and just couldn't breathe. It couldn't express strength uh, in a real way besides sitting down, you know, supported on a bench. And uh, it just really opened my eyes to everything that I was missing out of my strength program. And, and then from that point on, I just dove into kettlebell uh, obsession and it's, you know, that obsession is still going strong. Yeah. Um, and, and so that led me into, at the time, I didn't really know where to look, uh, for training. There was a local guy, uh, his name is Joe Daniels. He has a, a gym called swing this kettlebell. Um, and he's still a good friend of mine. He actually owns the kettlebell locker. So that website that I contribute to, um, and he competes in kettlebell sport, giveaway sport. Um, and so I initially dabbled in that and being a big meathead that wanted to have beefy shoulders, it, it's not exactly the right sport for it. And I didn't do very good in it. So it was even more humbling. Um, so it was kind of just searching for kettlebells in our city. There really wasn't much to do. And, and luckily, eventually, I dove more into Pobble's stuff and, and found hard style kettlebells. Mm-hmm. And when did you so when did you get involved with that? What year was that? That was 2014, I believe, 2013, one of those. Uh, I found some some videos, some old books from friends. And really, it started with Strongman. I, I found a Strongman competition. I don't even know how I found it, but I was the strongest guy in my gym. I was a big fish in a little pond, and I thought I would do well without training very hard for it. And I was terribly mistaken. Uh, I showed up and just got my ass kicked by these humongous uh country boys from Kentucky. Uh, I live in Kentucky, but the Northern side of Kentucky and they were the Southern kind of Kentucky is very different, different breed of man down there. And, and it was again, awakening moment. And I thought, well, I do all this kettlebell sport. Why wasn't I strong enough? And then that led me into trying to understand tension better, trying to uh, practice the movements more rather than just exhausting myself with reps. And, and the hard style method really spoke to strength and strongman better for me, like understanding how to get tight, how to develop intra-abdominal pressure um, and, you know, using these explosive fashions, it seemed to connect more to strongman. So, so then I just found uh, strong first and decided to sign up for a certification and just kind of prepared myself for that. And it was a, a great moment, a great learning tool. And it's one of those moments I'll never forget that level one and, and passing all the tests and, and moving on from there. And it was, it really, both sports enhance each other. Kettlebell helped my strongman and strongman helped the kettlebell. And it's kind of, they continue to feed off each other really well. Yeah. I, I remember the first time when I listened to, you know, Pavel on, um, on Joe Rogan's podcast and just some of the things that he was talking about sounded, of course, and, and Joe Rogan points this out too, is like, it sounds so counterintuitive to everything that a lot of people, a lot of people think in the States and the way people train where it's just, you know, gas out the system, one more rep, push it all right. away. And they're a big proponent of never, ever, ever train to failure. And I've, and I've learned that over the years too, from some of my other mentors, like Paul Check, who I've had on and, um, you know, so never train to failure, but this was even more extreme. Like don't even get close, you know, don't even right. save only two reps in the tank, save, four to six reps in there or four to five reps in the tank is like, wow. And then increase your rest periods for a really long time. And here's someone who's trained 
you know, the Spetsnaz mm-hmm. and apparently Navy SEALs and all these kinds of different special forces guys. And I'm like, wow, like this stuff really works for those guys. Cause you know, I, I know a lot of people like CrossFit these days and there's a big buzz around that or there has been for a really long time and CrossFit this and they're the strongest people in the world and all that stuff. So you have any experience with that or any opinions on that since you're. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was, that was definitely uh, a big thing I had to learn from coming from like bodybuilding where it was a lot of reps to failure. And uh, you know, it's just learning the more isn't better that better is better. And the idea of practicing strength and not testing it all the time, uh, it was really hard for me to learn, but that's what strong first really promotes. And really a lot of like the great coaches of leaving some in the tank, just like, you know, if we were playing sports, we're not, we're not going to go out and play a game every day. You know, you're going to practice, you're going to have a whole preseason of practicing. You're going to practice all week and run these plays at percentage. And then you might have one game a week or even more spaced out based on your sport. And just kind of approaching weightlifting like that is how can I practice this as a skill and get better at it? So that way, when it's time to test, I can execute it very well. Um, And I think too many people think of preparation and mental toughness as something you have to beat your body up and put yourself into this this physiological hole and then try to. and, And I'm just not somebody that believes in that. I think that preparation and mental toughness comes from confidence and practice and the more confident you are that you've done something well and you've practiced it enough that you can do it in your sleep, that's where mental toughness comes from. And that's where when everything gets tough, uh, you know you can resort to that good technique you've been practicing over and over, um, unfatigued. So and it keeps a nice clarity to training. And I think that's really where I've had so much success in Strongman is, is I practice. I don't beat myself up. I, up until recently, have have very minimal injuries. And when it comes time for game day, that's when you should perform your best, not setting PRs in the gym. So how often do you, what, what's your training schedule like? How often do you train every day? And then also how, how often do you test yourself to see when your PR is gone up? That's a good question. Uh, so it obviously depends on the person. I think the higher skill level, you know, it really comes down to like force, you know, now that I'm, producing a lot of force, you know, there's a lot of damage. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it. And when you think about like your, your max can vary. I think I've seen some stuff that up to 18% per day. Well, the bigger your lifts get, the bigger that variance gets. So someone who's a novice, you know, I might be able to test their rep max on something, you know, say, Hey, give me as many reps as you have once a week. And they're not moving enough weight to really break them down. But if you get a high level athlete, uh, you know, a 700 pound deadlifter, you can't just test it all the time. You'd, you'd break them down. So personally, I, I think I, I test max effort on something maybe once or twice a month. Um, and I only really max out like a one rep max two to three times per year. Um, and it's, it's really hard to keep motivated through that when you only get the test and sometimes you miss. Um, and I think rep max testing is another great way to push it uh, without injuring yourself. So say you're taking like 80% for a rep max to just make sure you're making progress. Um, but for me, it's, I only do that, like I said, once or twice a month, now at the level I've gotten to. Um, so I think it really depends on how much force they're producing. If it's a high level force, it's gonna take longer to recover from. Um, there's a higher degree of, of risk with higher levels of force. And then there's also like skill level, 
you know, someone's super skilled, they can probably get away with it and they know their, their limits. So I know my limits pretty well. And, uh, and so I'll, I'll allow myself to test a couple times a month if it's there. Mm-hmm. And what's your, what's your max deadlift at right now? Uh, the most I've pulled was uh, 705 at a, I was about two five, but uh, I really, I'm on a trajectory right now. I'm working with a guy, Nathan Stivers uh, out of Lexington at Stivers Strength. He's a great powerlifting coach, very, very good mindset. And he's got me on a, a squat and death deadlift program that I, I think I'm going to pass that PR about 20 or 30 pounds. So I'm, I'm hoping to hit about a six, a 730, 740 and I'm sitting about a 225 body weight right now. Um, yeah, and it's it's <laughs> tough. It, it, it wears you down. That's uh, a lot of weight. And most of my training is with the little kids running around in front of me. So it's it's not a slap me in the back, snort some ammonia, and get after it. It's a, hey, let me kiss your boo-boo first, change a diaper. All right, now i got to be able to pull this very casually. Um, so it's, it's a very different kind of training. It's I call it you know, the no-hype team. Um, so it's, it's, it's challenging. It's very stressful, but I think having them there keeps me, it keeps me from overthinking it and getting too stressed out. You, you said, you said sniffing or snorting ammonia without like blinking an eye. I, I definitely would love to hear about the kids <laughs> running around because I think that's a, a great talking point, but you just said sniffing or snorting ammonia. I've been around, right. I've been around some, um, some competition meets and stuff like that. And I've even spotted some bench meets when I was younger and in a gym that I used to work at, but I've never seen someone snort ammonia. What? <laughs> yes. It's, it's pretty, you know, like when somebody passes out, they give them ammonia to wake yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in strongman, it's like their second oxygen. Uh, you see a lot of guys, they, the sticks aren't enough. And so they buy the jars of it and then the jars aren't enough. So they go extreme and they shake it up and it's so pungent that, you can smell it from feet away and they'll take a big whiff of it. And it just, you know, jacks up your senses. And uh, because I don't train that way, I, I don't do it because it would just be unfamiliar. Um, and I, I think there's a time and a place for it. You know, when you're, you're going for a uh, three plus times body weight deadlift PR, you probably want to be as alert as possible. Um, I see too many guys, you know, if you're snorting ammonia on a Tuesday afternoon workout, you might want to reevaluate your, your training cycle. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I see that a lot. And some of my friends are, if they listen to this, they're going to roll their eyes because I, they know, they know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but it's not something that I, I use a lot of just because it's not how I train. So I wouldn't want to mess up my training there, but it is in the powerlifting and strongman world is, is a very common thing. It's almost like they, they get out their cans and they compare who's the strongest smelling. And it's, it's kind of funny. God damn. And they're probably rolling their eyes at someone like me. Like this guy doesn't even know what the hell we're talking about with this (laughs) ammonia. It's like, yeah, I I don't. So, um, I mean, I've seen people get slapped in the face until they, until they bleed, but I'd never saw the ammonia pop out. So if you see them, if you see them turn to their friends and usually it's somebody else holds it for them, will come up and and in strongman, it's funny because you can, you know, they, they got a deadlift suit on, they're all strapped up, you know, so they're like stuck to the bar and their friend will come up and hold it in their face. Mm-hmm. Well, they're stuck to the bar and they stand up and, you know, it's, it's funny. And strongman, I guess I can throw in this joke. The everything's legal in strongman, every suit, every strap, every wrap, every, everything is legal except for sumo. You're not allowed to sumo in strongman. Um, it's just oh, really? funny. Yeah. It's just funny that that's the one thing they put their foot down on. That's so funny. That's actually how I typically deadlift is sumo. Right. Yeah. It's, I, I guess it, they just, I don't know, that's the one thing that they think is, is cheating or wrong. 
um, which just is always funny. That is funny. Um, I, I, the, the ammonia just completely threw me off my train of thought oh, before. <laughs> no, 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 it's totally fine. Um, so what I wanted to, uh, so let's, let's jump to the, the kids. So you train with your kids a lot, huh? Right. And I guess we can kind of backtrack. Kind of... But you bring them to the new gym. Cause I guess we could start there too, is that you just recently opened up a gym, right? So you just yeah, said I not did. too I... long ago and. My gym was slated to open uh, the day that the state was shut down for coronavirus. So it was oh very bad timing, very bad timing. Um, luckily, I, I already had established clientele. I've had established online business. So it was more of a uh, like your story. You had a, a studio at your house. I had my garage gym. I trained at a gym in the city. So I just needed to expand. And it wasn't like, I, oh, my God, I'm going to start this business. It's more of I just need a little more space. And I found a space right up the street from my house. It just wasn't the best time for me to open up a business, but sometimes you don't get to choose your pathway and it just kind of happened, fell in my lap. And luckily I have awesome clients and awesome landlord and it just kind of has been working out. So sometimes I, I think too many people set up this, I have to go this direction and they want to guide everything and they think they have to have a perfect plan when really I feel like this is one of those moments where I just kind of went in the direction the horse was taking me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been working out and I think just keep a smile on my face the whole time and Instead of stressing when we're getting there and how soon we're getting there, just like I said, enjoying the ride and and doing the right thing along the way. That's awesome. And that's your first gym that you opened by yourself? I opened one with some friends when I was younger that's still open. Uh, It's called Solid Training um, in the west side of the city. But we moved away, so I stepped away from my part of it. Um, But my good friend John Beadle still runs it. Um, And so it's cool to see something we opened is still going. Um, And it taught me a lot. It was one of those where – just like training, like I'm, we made a lot of mistakes. We did a lot of stuff wrong and it really set me up for success this time around. Mm-hmm. Nice. So do you use a lot of the, I'm assuming you do, do you use a lot of the um, principles with your clients? The same thing from that you learned from strong first. that we were talking about earlier with the reps and the sets and all that. stuff. In a way, I think strong first has, has definitely been a big, and that hard style kettlebell has been influenced on me. Um, but I try to learn from everywhere and, and just take these, these pieces and make this multicolored, uh, you know, quilt of training. And, uh, overall it's, I think, like you said, it's, is I have my sets of principles. Um, and then the methods that I execute them vary from person to person. I think it was Alan Cosgrove that said, you know, method, uh, methods are many principles are few methods can always change, but principles never do. And as long as I stick to my principles, you know, some people like kettlebells and some people don't. It doesn't change the the approach that I'm going to take in developing them for whatever their goals are. Um, so it's yes, it's a big part of my business and, and my training approach. But, you know, it, it's just a part of it, I would say. So what do you do if somebody says, well, I don't really like kettlebells? Is it just, you know, because of, you know, where you were at before and where I was at before and we really didn't use them? up to a certain point because we didn't understand them. Do you just try to learn more about, or, well, why don't you use them or why don't you like them? Or do you just kind of be like, Oh, well <laughs> you got to use them. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> great. And I think like, as you know, it's, it's asking the right questions. Um, you have to get to listen to somebody. If they say they, this hurts or I don't like that. You know, like if I, uh, the old example, if, if I went in to order and really wanted a steak at a restaurant and I showed up, and the waiter tried to tell me, no, you definitely need to get the chicken breast. I, I probably wouldn't go back there. 
um, even though they know more about the food, I went in for a steak. So as someone comes in and doesn't like it, I'm not, I don't force it on them, but asking the right questions of what are your goals and then explaining where this fits in and what things we can do with it. And majority of people, when they see others using them successfully, and it might stem with they had a bad experience with them in the past. So once you gain their trust, people seem to be more likely to try new things. Um, and then it comes down to like assessing. Maybe they've had pain before um, having some serious back injuries. I'm not going to throw them on an explosive hip hinge right away. Um, or if someone can't reach overhead, I'm not going to make them do get up. So it's just assessing where they're at, where they want to go to, and then how can I give them you know, what they want in the context of what they need. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Um, uh, but I think overall, like, yeah, if, if we're, you know, talking like some of these principles, like I touch on is like, like you said, they assess where they're at mentally and physically, um, that sets up a nice platform of where to go from there. You know, any kind of assessment I've used FMS, I used a lot of PRI, the posture restoration institutes methods and, um, stuff from Zach couples and Bill Hartman, who use a lot of breathing assessments. And it just sets up a good image of where are we starting? And then you communicate where we're going. And then from there, it's just kind of building a, a program that is intentional or very, you know, the specificity to what they're doing is important. So if I have someone whose goal is bodybuilding, probably not going to spend too much time teaching kettlebell swings. Right. Um, most people are here for fitness, so I think that there's a place for it. And then how am I going to progressively overload that uh, over time? No matter what, if, whatever the method we choose, it has to have some kind of overload over time uh, while mixing in some variability and some fun or, and then periodize, periodize through the year. So that way they don't get tired of it or get injured. Uh, and then hopefully encourage them to compete in some way, whether it's with themselves uh, publicly or with other members of the gym. And really those are like the big principles that I try to cover and the methods that we do them. You know, I, I like to do the kettlebell method. I like to do strongman and barbells, but I think any method can be applied to those principles. Yeah. I like the, take so much time and thought for the starting point because i think that's i think it's maybe getting a little bit more popular but i think that's a, still lacking a lot instead of just asking people a couple questions because of course questions are really important but when you were talking about the fms and the posture and the breathing those things play such a huge role in where your client is at and putting them on a on a good path you know on a good trajectory and i think not knowing some of those pieces. I mean, I even, I even use questionnaires to go even deeper into their lifestyle and looking at what they're eating and how much sleep they're getting and their stress levels. Cause they all play physiological factors as well too. So uh, I think it's so great that you're spending a lot of time there to really figure out that smart starting position. So that's great. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, we, it's, yeah, I, I like that. The, the, all the questions on everything and um, the training app I use really covers a lot of these questions, but he said, you know, what's your sleep schedule like? What's your, what's your eating schedule like? What's your stress like? You know, apply a bunch of heavy stress exercises to someone who's living a very high stress lifestyle. So yeah, you're totally right. Is, is setting that foundation. I mean, G, our, our Google maps doesn't work very well when it can't tell where we're at to start. Um, so I just trying to kind of take that approach with every client. Yeah. That's a good analogy too. So what's <laughs> your, so I mean, a father of three, that's gotta be, uh, pretty busy lifestyle especially with that age range too two five and ten yes I mean, definitely we, we, you know you're bringing them to the gym to get your training in 
do you know they do some of their stuff that they see their dad do what what's that lifestyle like how do you balance the how do you balance being a dad a new gym owner in this, in the middle of a pandemic and then also doing the stuff that you need to do for yourself that's definitely a challenge um you know i think it all started with uh you know as, as a son uh, my dad used to take me to the gym with him and he had some of those twist on dumbbells and the Arnold book. And it's funny that this is what my life's turned into. All he had was two dumbbells and an Arnold book, and that's all I needed. Um, so it was, I think that's where it started is my dad did it. I saw him doing it and it just made me want to do it. It was something cool to do with my dad. And uh, my dad has cerebral palsy. So it's always been, life's just been a challenge for him um, walking and doing anything. So when I saw him pushing himself in the gym, when really just going through life in general would have been enough for people to pat him on the back, but that wasn't enough. And so he continued to train and it got me into training, you know, as a, a freshman in high school. And, and then next thing you know, all my friends wanted me to train them. So that's really where the career started was showing my friends uh, how to lift. And then it was, which then got me into college. I was a collegiate shot put thrower uh, and discus and hammer. And uh, when I, was going into my sophomore year, I found out that I was going to be a dad. And so I was 19. I was making about seven bucks an hour um, and work and going to school all the time. So uh, unfortunately, I decided that I had to leave school to try to work more. And instead, I'm really grateful that I thought that I needed to leave the industry to make more money. Um, but I just kind of was really stubborn. And to be honest, I don't really have many skills outside of this. <laughs> and so I just had my daughter, um, unfortunately became a, a single dad, uh, early on in her life. And it was just one of those moments, like, I didn't know what else to do. So I just took her to the gym with me and, um, tried to play with her while doing these things. And it just kind of became our thing. And so when we had, when I got married and had my uh, second daughter, you know, I had just built a home gym and just decided, you know, I'm not going to stop training and doing these things. Like, let's just keep going and she'll learn to play. And, and it's created my five-year-old is like a little, you know, a ninja warrior because she's been raised in a gym. Um, and every day, that's what we would do in the middle of the day was just work out just to really kind of waste some time. And uh, by the time my son was born, I was had become a pretty competitive athlete and strongman and kettlebells. So there was a little bit of a pressure to keep doing it. Um, but having them there keeps me grounded. It reminds me who I really am. And so it's just kind of something we've always done. and and they get a kick out of it. They like to climb all over everything and, and make a mess of my gym, total mess all the time <laughs> um, <laughs> that I, it's half my session is cleaning up the mess or kissing a boo-boo or changing a diaper. Um, but I guess it's just, I, I don't want to take time out of my business. I don't want to take time away from my marriage when my wife is off work. So I just decided to do it with the kids and it's, it's worked out great ever since. Yeah, Nobody's awesome. got hurt yet. <laughs> that's good especially climbing all over everything. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, and sometimes with me, I've been walked out on a squat rack and had to wait. And then my son will walk up and, you know, give me a hug. And it's like, he won't move like his son. I gotta, I need to put this weight up. Right. Um, but most of the time I, I try to, you got to get the little look around, like where's everyone at sit still. Uh, and they end up in a lot of my videos and it's, it's really fun. It, it really, uh, it's really cool to look back on and see and, and to see all it took for me was a couple dumbbells you know, who knows what this is going to lead to for the kids. And I think that's important to show them one as a parent that you have a hobby, you know, you can't just have your whole life as a parent, you know, they need to see that you have a life and you have things to do 
and that you have goals and you're trying to grow as a person. So then that lets them know that the world's not going to end when they become a parent, you know, that they should chase their goals and do things and be inspirational. And, and I'm really big on setting up this platform for my kids to one, elevate them to the next level and show them that we're just constantly growing and moving up no matter what it is that you're doing, lifting weights, uh, reading, whatever hobby it is, just constantly growing as a person. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. How about your wife? Does she train with you guys? No, (laughs) no, (laughs) but my wife is, um, she is in great shape. Uh, a lot of people ask her if she's also a personal trainer. Um, but she works in the retail business and it's one of those I've learned a lot. Just. Uh, naturally stay fit in, in how, uh, yeah, it cut um, off for a second there, but yeah, I can hear you now. Uh, so it's cool to watch, uh, somebody live a fit lifestyle without being obsessed about it. So she probably racks up about 30 to 40,000 steps a day. Um, which that right there is tons of calorie burning, you know, and then eats not till she's stuffed, tries to eat fruits and vegetables, drinks a bunch of water and stays at a very healthy body weight, very fit. Um, and then just, I think yeah. like most people, when <laughs> we don't get along very well, when we try to train together, <laughs> uh, I, I'm husband in the gym and not coach. So it's, you know, we're still working on finding it and we're big on like hiking and going outdoors and, and doing yard work. So I think just living an active lifestyle and eating a healthy diet shows that you can still look great and feel great. <laughs> yeah. I just like doing deadlifts. Do so <laughs> I'm actually, I just started <laughs> this program it. today Yeah, where I, I got it off of, uh, it's the daily dose deadlift program. Uh, I got it off of, uh, wrote the article on strong first blog. I just happened to see it um, actually just in the regular Google searches. I wasn't even trolling the blog. And so uh, it's, you know, 46 days or something like that, or 45 days and only work out with 75% of your max. And then on day seven, you do 80% and then you go back down to 75 and then go up to 85 and like all these different things. And they lay out every day. I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to get to, I'm almost there, but I'm trying to get to double my body weight, which I'm at 200 right now. So I didn't start deadlifting until I was a lot, you know, older, like in my like mid to late twenties. So, you know, I used to do all the bodybuilding stuff up to a certain point. It was just all about back and buys, chest and tries type mentality. And so I wish I would have done more of that powerlifting deadlift stuff, you know, when I was younger. And so I'll definitely be teaching my kid, my son about that. Um, oh, definitely. So. Yeah, I was a little late to the game as far as deadlifts and squats. I have, uh, you know, I've been told by a couple uh, people who do orthopedic assessments that I might have like a Scottish hip. So it's a, if you heard it, it's a very deep hip socket. So what you lose in mobility, so I don't have a lot of hip flexion or rotation, um, I gain in stability. So heavy carries, throwing implements, stuff like that. So it makes sense where my career's gone because of that. So, but for that reason, I, I was not. I couldn't really squat without pain. I couldn't really deadlift without using my back. Mm-hmm. So it was like something I didn't start till my mid twenties. Um, and then, you know, I wish I had found some of the, uh, that program that you're on before, because it was the, you know, when you learn deadlift, it's like, we'll just work up to a max every day. And uh, that doesn't work out very well. And so I think those, those programs where you 
that submax training is just really where it's at. That 70 to 80% and accumulating volume there is just the golden zone for training. Um, and then occasionally, like so like that once a week, you push it and then you go back to practice and then you push it and then you go back to practice. And, and it just seems to be a, a really yeah. uh, well, it's just interesting good you're formula for success. Rep. You're just supposed to do singles and you're supposed to do three to five sets of singles. It just doesn't seem like a lot, but if you're doing it every single day, I guess you're just accumulating the volume over the week but yeah it's i think generally i believe it's pavel that said you know you, you need at least 125 reps of something within a five-week block to oh. see improvement so that checks that box uh at time so you're hitting all your numbers but without fatiguing the system at one time uh, another method that we talk about and that pavel has talked about is the grease in the groove uh basically essentially three to five times a day, you do 50% of your max. A lot of people use it for pull-ups. So if you can do 10 pull-ups, um, three to five times a day, you just go out and knock out five. And you never get fatigued, but by the end of the week, you've accumulated a lot of reps. They were all really good reps. Um, and so you'll test that at the end of the month and you blow those numbers away every time. It's really, really a cool idea. And like you said, it's a, it's a break from the traditional method of training to failure, pushing it heavy every time. And more of the idea of yeah. of practicing with a high skill level. So let me ask you real quick about um your uh, your dad. Is he still is he still around? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he actually lives with me. Um, he he's like, yeah, he we moved him into our house, and we our house is small. But the thing I like about our house is we could easily upgrade. Uh, me and my wife, we like to live minimally. We don't want to have a lot of bills. I think after this coronavirus, it, it cannot begin. Trying not to have a lot of expenses was was very. There you go. Yep. Hello. Yeah. So our house, our house seems a little cramped and tight sometimes, but I think it just brings us closer together. So there's no avoiding anybody in our house, um, and so he's he's very much a part of the family, and um, and it's it's great to have him around. I, I couldn't imagine not having my parents here. And it's, I think as a parent, one of the things that scares me is what if, you know, they could fail and they could have all these things wrong with them, but what if they succeed? What if, what if they get a killer job and move away and you only see them twice a year? That that's really scary to me too. So for, especially for someone who has my parents here, um, has my kids around all the time. I, I don't know what I would do if that's awesome. My I family that moved away. Like you know? just had a really good, solid relationship with your dad, especially kind of the way you talked about him when, you were younger and you used to go to the gym and how he was that inspiration because of, you know, what he lives with day to day and how he used to push himself. And so that's awesome that he's still around and he could be a part of your kids' lives and, and your life too, because he lives with you. So that's awesome. Right. Yep. It's, it's kind of funny. Like you say, it's cerebral palsy. And I think the average life expectancy for cerebral palsy is like 40. Well, my dad's 65 and uh, he doesn't have a gray hair on his head. It's, it's kind of, kind of crazy and i really attribute it to eating healthy foods and exercising for such a long period of his life um that it's kept him young and and now that he's here with me i make him exercise and he eats my food so he might yeah, live another come to the gym with 50 years who knows stays, stays the house. <laughs> since since we've had the virus uh, i haven't yeah. taken him out just because he's in that high risk um but i look forward to to getting him in there and um, and doing some exercise, but I have, I left some stuff at the house. I got a bike and, um, some kettlebells and That's stuff awesome. at the house. So we do some little home workouts. So what's next for you? I know you got this. Yeah. I mean, I'm 
sure you're probably getting ready to ramp up once you're able to open the gym back up and bring people back in, or are you already at that point now or no? Are you guys in the yellow or green or where are you? Yeah, we're, we're, we're already open. Uh, since we're a f- small facility, uh, we just have to like, you know, I don't have a ton of people lifting in right now. It's very private. Mm-hmm. So there's never more than four or five people in the gym. Um, you know, I, I wear my mask and uh, wipe it. I think we, we've always <laughs> had more bleach bottles in the gym than people. So it, <laughs> it stays pretty clean in there. And, um, just a great community of people. Most of the people in with me have been with me for a long time. So it, it's just cool to bring everyone together and build that community. And that's really where my focus is right now. Uh, I'm also on the Florence uh, committee for physical activity. So that's my, the city I live in and we just actually met today. Um, so we're working on bringing an exercise park to the city. And so we're, right now I'm kind of working on some funding for that and where to place it. It's going to be a big, huge outdoor gym. So I'm really excited about that and just kind of providing that to the city um, and giving back to other people and, and however I can donate some things that way. Um, I had planned to go to Strongman Nationals, which I was really excited about, but mm-hmm. obviously canceled and rescheduled. Uh, so that really put a damper on training. So my training right now is just kind of practice, getting a little bit better, things I'm, I'm not good at. And then I have some PDFs and manuals that I'm going to release. So I've already released uh, a couple of manuals, ebooks, whatever you want to call them. Uh, one was on hybrid kettlebell training uh, with the guy Ryan Patrick, uh, also another super dad, um, and that was to prepare for the tactical strength challenge. So a deadlift, pull up, kettlebell program. It's a twenty week program, and that had such good success that I released a uh, kettlebell pressing program um, as a manual. And again, a lot of good feedback on that. So I have coming out. I have a uh, beast tamer program. Uh, a complete kettlebell conditioning program. And then I'm working with uh, a group of people on a collaborative thing to just bring a lot of programs and try to promote people in the industry um, that, that need help, you know, promoting. And this is very much an industry that I've had success in. And so I want to help some people, some women, um, people of color, uh, some different uh, backgrounds and ethnicities that maybe don't get the spotlight. So we're going to do this big collaborative program where I'm looking forward to, you know, being able to hopefully, if, if I'm going to be a part of this release, the my Gorilla Gains double kettlebell mass program. So that's something I've been really holding close to me and, and look forward to releasing it with them and, and what we can bring out of that. That's awesome. Um, and, you got a lot going on, yeah. especially with that park and all. And Always. Yeah. It's, that's great. It's I don't know what to do if I if I didn't have all this stuff going on. And, and then from there, I think above all my, my priority, and I said before, is just running an awesome gym and community. I want to help as many people as possible. Um, I just love working with people and, and, and giving them what they've been looking for, uh, and, and taking their, their lives and growing to that next level. So I'm trying to dedicate the majority of my focus into just building a really good community at our gym. And, you know, I, I have a couple guys who are young, want to blow up and do us marketing. I'm like, let's just focus on being the best gym on this street. So let's, <laughs> let's do that first. And then after yeah. that, then we can start to worry about you know, a couple blocks and stuff like that. And, and let's just focus on what's in front of us. And, and so that's, that's really where I'm trying to keep my attention at. So you mentioned it, we mentioned it in the, inter, uh, the intro, and then you just mentioned it again, as far as one of your programs, the beast tamer, tell everybody what that is just in case they don't know. Yeah. So the beast tamer is something that uh, I believe originated with the RKC and is now going on at strong first. So if you're at a course or cert, you can test and it's the beast tamer slash iron maiden. 
Um, so the beast tamer is you have to do a strict press with a kettlebell. Um, you clean it up with one hand, press it strict overhead, bring it back down and set it to the floor. A very strict judging parameters. You have three master trainers watching you like a hawk while you're doing it. So it's, it's a little nerve wracking. And then there's a tactical pull up. So a dead hang strict pull up with the 106 pound kettlebell around your waist. So that, that's the beast is the 106 pound kettlebell. And then, so you have to press the 106 you have pound to kettlebell press it, you're talking about. Right. Right. Um, strict press, the strict pull up neck to bar. Uh, I failed it once cause I touched my lower chin to it and that was not good enough. Um, so I had to come <laughs> back and full on neck to bar. And then there's a pistol squat with the 106 uh, pound kettlebell. And if you complete all of those to the standards that they choose, then you're dubbed the beast tamer. Uh, and the women's iron maiden challenge is with a 53 pound kettlebell, all the same lifts judged to the same extent. Um, and it's, there's a, I think about 50 men that have completed it, if I'm not mistaken, and about 30 women. Um, and so it's a very elite group and it's, it's really cool to, to get that level. And a lot of people like that's who don't compete and stuff like strongman or powerlifting. That's, that's their thing that they work towards. And, and I have a lot of people that reach out to me, help for it. And so I was hoping to have some people test and complete it this year, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, that's an accomplishment, man. Yeah. It's, it's re- it was really nerve wracking. Did you have to train for it? Yeah. So I actually, it was a great learning experience. The, the first time I attempted it was at my level one in King of Prussia. So right where you're at. And, uh, I didn't know what it was. And, uh, the Phil Scarito, the, the head instructor, the master trainer, he said, Harry, who's, who's attempting the beast tamer? And I didn't know what it was. And he described it and I was like, Oh hell, I'll give it a shot. And I failed miserably. Can he um, do it? Uh, did he do it? I don't the think head instructor? So. No, I don't think he's, he's about uh, 150, 160 pounds. So there's a little bit of a weight disadvantage. Um, you definitely want to be the right weight for this test. You can't be too heavy or too light. If you're too heavy, the pull-ups going to be too hard. And if you're too light, the press is going to be too hard. So, um, but I, I'm not sure. I don't want, don't quote me on that. He's not a beast there. He might get mad at me if he is. I wonder, and if, I Pavel, said no. I wonder if Pavel can do it. I think Pavel could probably do everything, right? <laughs> he's, he's, uh, just, he's not a or, very big guy, but I know right. he's probably pretty strong. I don't know. Or, or maybe at some time, you know, I wouldn't put it past him. He's, uh, I, I got a cool story about, about him. I'll tell you after this. And, uh, so the second time was years later. Uh, I had kind of trained for it. I thought just being big and strong was going to get me there. And I went and attempted it. I smoked the press, smoked the pistol squat, and then I failed the pull-up. And uh, it was one of those where I, I thought I got it and I didn't. And it was, I'm glad that I didn't fail it because it caused me to have to step back and say, I need to take this seriously. I need to respect this challenge and respect this kettlebell and really put my effort into it and and commit. So the next year when I went back to assist in Chicago, I uh, I was fully prepared and I went up and and just nailed it. And it was it was just a really gratifying moment that I don't know that I would have had that same feeling if I would have hit it on that first try. Um, so, but the Pavel story is a great story of, he was, a, uh, you know, they were testing swings and the, he brought out this giant scale. And what he was talking about is when you do a kettlebell swing, you should be driving force down into that scale. And so they were measuring who could pop out the biggest number, uh, on the swings. And apparently, uh, from what I've heard, he just blew everyone else away. Um, for the amount of force that he could put out. Wow. Like into the scale. It was like driving his feet into the ground, essentially. Yeah. It's so it's, I, I tell a lot of people it's, it's like a jump without leaving the ground. So you should be driving through the floor without leaving your heels in the ground. And, and that energy just transfers to the bell. 
So it's not so much about throwing the bell forward with your hips. It's about snapping your body to that tall position and letting that energy transfer to the kettlebell. Oh, I've never, I haven't heard that yet. That's pretty like cool. a, Almost like, you know, when you take a belt and you snap it the tight, that's how I really try to teach that kettlebell is, is we're trying to jump, load the jump and jump, but don't leave the ground. Interesting. I'll have to try that next time <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> it's helpful. It's helpful. It's helpful. Yeah. So, uh, one more thing before we, uh, before we get to your, your 10 questions to, to end the interview, I want to know a little bit about how you eat. What's your nutrition like? I'm, so I'm, we were texting I'm, last night just to make sure that you were, you know, still good for today's time and the interview and all that stuff. And you said, yeah, we're just getting dinner ready. I know it was a little later in the day, but you know, three kids, a family, a business, what, what do you eat? How do you guys, how do you guys, uh, do that in the house? You know, I'm, I'm, um, I struggle with nutrition and I don't want to say like eating disorder for years. Cause I don't know if just stuffing your face is called an eating disorder. Um, <laughs> and so I was really good at that. And, um, so it was for many years I was lifting and I just wanted to look better and I just never could get there cause I never could commit. And, um, so then I eventually was like, you know what, who knows how to get leaner better than a bodybuilder. So I called one of my old friends, his name's Sean Young. He's a, uh, one of the best pro natural bodybuilders in the world. Uh, I'm going to have to hook you up with him. He has, I believe four daughters and coaches their teams, walks around about 5% body fat and a smile on his face the entire time. So Damn. I thought that's the guy that I, body fat. Uh, he's just, he's just a freak. Um, and I think the most impressive part is that he's just got a smile on his face the whole time. Whereas most people, when they diet, they get really grumpy. And, and I just, I really admired that. So I started working with him a few years ago and, um, he really got me on. It was, it was leaner meals, less fats, uh, a lot of carbs. So I can continue to train strongman and a moderate amount of protein, um, with some foods, you know, some variability. So it was a lot of, a lot of egg whites, uh, potatoes, chicken and rice or chicken and potatoes. Um, and then at night he kind of gave me the option of ground Turkey or ground, like lean ground Turkey with vegetables. Um, and some days having carbs. And that's where I really try to, you know, the first four meals I eat about the same every day, no matter what, um, just cause it's easy. It's one less thing to think about. Um, but then that last meal allows me to, so say I want to make spaghetti. I can use that lean meat. I can get some protein pasta and the whole family we can eat together. Cause it was really important for me to still sit down and eat dinner with the family and not just be the dad in the corner eating out of a Tupperware. Um, yeah. So as, as long as you keep that principle of, okay, lean this much lean meat, this much of a carb and, you know, lots of vegetables, you know, you can turn that into meatloaf, you know, where we're from, we have Cincinnati style chili. So I often make that with lean meat and uh, either protein pasta or maybe like a spaghetti squash. So I can still stick to generally my plan and my macros while still giving the kids these foods and, and teaching them how to cook and let them chop things up and, and just, you know, instilling these good values of, of family eating together, learning to cook, providing for yourself and just not one, not eating in front of a TV and two, not eating out of a drive through. Yeah. So what, what's, uh, what's your buddy's thoughts on healthy fats? I'm sure that probably came up at some point, like you said, like pretty, pretty low fats, but like avocados or healthy fats, like olive oil, all that kind of stuff. If you're having pasta or, what, what what's wrong with those uh, things so in his it's, mind? It's more of um, I think it's a it was, it's like a what works for you thing. You know, I uh, you maintaining a calorie level, and then you equate for protein. So then you just have the rest of your calories. Like, where do you want to add those calories? It's fats or carbs. Well, someone with an endless pit of a stomach for me, um, 
I needed volume of food. So the carbs just provided more volume. Um, you know, rice, uh, 500 calories of rice is a lot more food than 500 calories of an avocado. Right. Uh, and so th- that was the main reason for it. And whenever we have a cheat meal, so for me, because I'm a weight class athlete, if my weight drops below 225, I get a cheat meal. Um, and pretty much every cheat meal anyone ever eats is high in fat. So that kind of made up a lot of my fat levels um, on top of like taking fish oil every morning. Um, so I noticed once a week I would eat sushi or avocado or you know, like pizza or whatever it may be. And that, that seemed to add in the bit, the good fats back in the diet or just fat in general. Um, so it just, it was more of a, that's what worked for me. Um, and I think some other people would, would just use fat instead of carbs and that's fine. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not a nutrition expert. I, I, my clients notoriously ask me for help and I just outsource because it's, it's just a lot more information there. Um, psychology to it, the science, different heritage and, uh, allergies. It's not something I dive into. So I think it was really smart for me to just outsource my nutrition to someone who is an expert in that. Mm -hmm. Nice. I just always, I'm just always curious of, to, uh, what works for people and what, you know, because there's so many right. different things that work for so many different people and, you know, finding, finding, you know, that one thing that's, well, I, there is no one size fits all. So finding that one thing that works for you is so important. So I just, I'm always interested to hear what works right. for certain people and, and that. So cool. Yeah, totally agree. I know. Uh, and also just the observation, like every, every bodybuilder I ever watched, you know, they eat very lean diet and they were, you're very muscular, very lean, and that's just kind of fit my goals more. So um, I don't know too many bodybuilders doing high-fat diets. Um, I could be wrong, but it just seems to be the, the common thing to do to, to stay lean. Yeah. Well, I get asked a lot of, you know, people ask me, what do I think about the keto diet and all these other different things? And that's pretty high in fat for the most part, right? It's like moderate protein, higher in fats, and uh, and like low in carbohydrates. So, yeah, you know, you always see and then people – of course, there's people out there that swear by that and they're super lean from the keto diet. And then there's other people like, you know, your buddy who's super lean from other stuff. I mean, walking around with 5% mm-hmm. body fat's pretty amazing. Yeah, I'll have to send you his profile. It's pretty impressive. But yeah. uh, the other thing that's really in- intrigued me was because I'm not, you know, I'm at a body fat I like, I'm not competing right now, is uh, Mike T. Nelson uh, has this metabolic flexibility uh, course and just putting out a lot of good information on you know, well, let's maybe we should eat fats in the morning, you know, to keep our, our, you know, energy levels high and then maybe do some cardio at that level because we want the aerobic system to run off of fats and then learning, okay, if I have a high intensity workout, I need to be able to consume carbs and use those carbs. And so that's, that's piqued my interest a lot now. And I'm really looking forward to going through his course. So it's something that, you know, I'm sure you would enjoy too. It's very scientific and and how do we use all of these pieces together in the most effective way possible uh, and not being tied to one methodology? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Trying to be more fluid. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let everybody know where they can find out more about you. Yeah. So most of the stuff you can find is, you know, I try to keep all my names the same as Be Strong KY. So B-E, that's my initials. Very creative of me. Um, <laughs> and so it's bestrongky.com or Instagram at bestrongky. Uh, it's a little easier to remember than Eisenminger. Um, and you can also find me on, I, I've written for Rebel Performance and um, I've written for the Kettlebell Locker. 
and uh, you know, we'll continue to write for those. Um, so that's really where I have most things. All, most of my programs and products will be released to my website and also made available through my Instagram. Awesome. And I'll link those up in the show notes. So for anybody listening, you can just go right um, into the notes section and click right on Ben's website or uh, go to Instagram and I'll have his handle in those notes as well. So awesome. you got some, you got some great stuff on there, man. And I, I can't wait to see some of those programs that you have being released. They sound pretty awesome. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm excited to help. I just, I'm all about as many people as I can help. I was really lucky to have uh, people help me through my career. So anything that I can give back to, to anyone else is, is awesome. And if they can put up with my shenanigans around the good information, then, then we'll be all right. That's awesome. I love that. All right. Well, as we end every episode with 10 questions, uh, these questions are inspired by James Lipton and Bernard Pivot. So are you ready? Yes, I think so. <laughs> Who is your hero? Uh, who's my hero? I would have to say my dad. You know, everything he's been through is with cerebral palsy and, and retiring from a 30 plus year career with no excuses. Is, it's pretty hard to, to look away from that. Absolutely. What excites you? Uh, I think learning. I just love growing and, and getting better and learning and, and through any aspect, through being a parent, being a husband, uh, fitness, just, just being a, getting better at something is really exciting to me. What turns you off? Um, I guess closed-mindedness, you know, people who not listening and, and being stagnant, stuff like that. I, I, I guess the opposite of growth mindset is it, people, you know, when, when something thinks it's a, or even myself is a finished product, uh, that really kind of turns me off. Hmm. What is your favorite sound? A fan, <laughs> which I'm sitting in front of right now. I have a fan. I, the, the white noise of a fan just kind of sets me at peace. Nice. What is your least favorite sound? My least favorite sound. The whine, the, the little kids, not crying, the whining. whining you know yeah. what I'm talking about. The, oh, yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you got right For some reason, that, that really just turns me sideways. Mm-hmm. Oh, what is your favorite quote or saying? Uh, my favorite quote or saying, um, that's a, a tough one. Um, I think I like, you know, I'm a big fan. I love uh, some stuff from Buddhism. Candles uh, or a thousand candles can be lit from the flame candle without shortening the life of that candle. Um, and that just really has taught me to just give and just constantly give compassion and, or listen, or you, you really don't lose anything by giving other people. Um, and they can continue to share that nice. with others. But one more time with that, because it was cutting out on my end. So I'm not sure what the listeners are here. So what's that quote one more time? So I think the favorite quote would be from, uh, you know, the Buddha is uh, a thousand candles can be lit from the flame of a single candle. And the life of that candle will not be shortened. Nice. And it just shows you can you can share kindness. You can share happiness. You can share an open ear um, without losing anything from yourself and actually can just spread more to others. And, you know, we probably need a little more of that right now. Absolutely. Uh, in a couple words, what should a dad be? Uh, present. Um, and I think more than anything is uh, accountable to what your family needs. Uh, and every family is different. But being able to be there when they need you, um, being able to put the technology down, put your stresses aside for your kids, because they're only going to remember those moments you're in front of them. 
and then doing the things you're supposed to do. Every dad has different roles. I have a very different role as a dad than most. Um, but just doing that job the right way the first time to the maximum effort, um, it, it, no matter what role that is, I think is really important. Nice. And in a couple of words, what should a dad not be? Um, a bully. You know, it's. I think it's really easy for us as dads to, you know, we, we're big, we're loud, and it's easy to get our way um, from being big and loud. And I just really worry about that with the kids is, is being able to get the point across because sometimes they need to listen. Um, how do I get this way without being the bully? Um, and that's really something that I push myself to work on and get better at. I really like that. If you could try any other profession, what would it be? A mailman. Okay. No, no, no. I, it's my wife will laugh at this. I always, it's the polar opposite of my job. You know, it's you, you don't talk to people. You just walk around, do the mail. Um, it would have to, I take the. It's a mailman with a walking route. Is I would love to just walk outside all day. Your job is done when the job is done, and uh, you get to brave the elements. And I don't know. It just seems like if fitness didn't work out for me, that'd be the first place I would go. Nice. Calves would get, I get, you just get huge calves. That would be a great <laughs> plus, too. That's something I've been trying to get. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And finally, what would you like to be remembered for? Uh, I think compassion um, and, and giving, like we said before, is if at the end of the day, like, nobody's going to talk at my funeral that I deadlifted three times my body weight. They're going to talk about how you made them feel and the things, the impact that you left. And, and it's always important to me is that. Uh, I can leave people from a conversation feeling better, uh, feeling like I'm listening and that, you know, we were friends that I could just open right up to them. And, and that's something I'm always trying to keep in mind is the, the lasting impression you leave on people uh, is hopefully one of kindness. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Ben, this was great. I had a great time with this interview. I really, really, really appreciate you coming on and taking the time out of your busy schedule. And um, I wish you nothing but the best, man. I appreciate it, Jim. I had, I had a blast and, you know, even picking out and learning some stuff from you and hearing other people's perspective. And uh, I really enjoyed the podcast and everything you have going. Uh, hopefully we can string together some real words from all my technical mishaps. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, I look forward to seeing what, what you guys are going to keep putting out and, and the direction that you're going to go. So I really think you got something awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. We'll have a good one. All right. Take care. As warrior dads, we got to tackle a lot of things, but tackling low testosterone levels should definitely not be one of them. Uh, We need to keep our testosterone at peak levels, and that is absolutely crucial for all of us. So I'm sure you know all the horrible things associated with low T levels. If you don't, it's definitely not pretty. Uh, It's Google search away. But unfortunately, testosterone levels in men have been consistently decreasing over the last two decades. And it's actually one of the biggest conversations I have to have when working with men, which is why I decided to create the Warrior Dads Testosterone Booster Guide and Checklist. It's a free download. And all you have to do is go to checklist.warriordads.com. Just download it, start, start implementing it, and start to feel the difference. So again, go to checklist.warriordads.com and get your free copy now. Hey guys, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Warrior Dads podcast. If you like this podcast and want to support it, please subscribe, leave comments, and share it with someone you think would benefit from listening as well. Thanks again, and keep on being a warrior dad.